0: Today, we talk about perspective and composition with Canon Explorer of Light, Sal Sincata on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazzle, your host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. As always, a quick reminder, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast in either an audio or video format that is assuming that your podcatcher of choice supports video. If it doesn't, head over to the YouTube channel because the video is also put up there. You can get all the information about today's show and any show and all the links to subscribe over at BehindTheShot.tv makes it easier for you. Also, YouTube tells me that a lot of you watching on YouTube... Are uh, not subscribed. So if you would, head down, click the subscribe button, do the bell, do all of that type of stuff. I'd appreciate it. It makes it easy. That way, you know when I release a new show or when I do one of the critique shows that I do with Don Komareczka. We just did one, in fact, the day before, a couple of days before recording this show with uh, Andy Anatko that has been really popular. So you, again, you can head to YouTube to check that out. One last thing to remind you of. I've got a workshop coming up. It's gonna be in October. It's called The Wanderers Photo Workshop and it is gonna be an absolute blast. It is, think of it as an opportunity to experience the people and the environment and the history and the music of a destination city all-in-one photo workshop. This time around, it's going to be in New Orleans. It's the first one. We've got four instructors, Andrew Scrivani, who is a New York Times contributor and food photographer, Aunt Pruitt, the host of the Hands-On Photography podcast over on Twit, and a, a good friend of mine. And then the guy who came up with the idea, Freddie Clark, he's a food and beverage photographer. He's going to be on the show again, in fact, soon doing some beverage photography. And I'm doing the music stuff. Again, it's at WanderersPhoto.com. And that brings us up to today's guest, who I am excited to to get on the show for a number of reasons. One, this has been kind of a technical day as we're getting going. St. (laughs) Louis-based wedding photographer, Canon Explorer of Light, Sal Sincata. How are you, my friend? Steve, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to meet you. Uh, thank you, by the way, I should say this. I don't say this enough, but Scott Heath, thank you for setting this up and connecting Sal and I, cause I really appreciate it. And I want to say early, thank you to Alyssa Sincata for also working through this and helping get this set up. Cause these things don't happen just because Sal and I pick up a phone and call. It takes, it she's, takes a- uh, she's the real village. brain behind my operation for sure. Uh, I said, you know, I said wedding photographer and, and that's only for brevity. The truth of the matter is, while I think of you as a wedding photographer, and if I if I go to your website, it's, you know, St. Louis wedding photographer, although you're not technically in St. Louis proper. The the surrounding areas, but you're quite accomplished in fashion and senior and headshots. So I'm going to ask this is like asking what your favorite child is. If you had to live on a desert island with one, (laughs) what what would it be?
1: Man, that would be tough. Uh, I don't know that I could answer it correctly. I'd have to, I'd be one of those all of the above. Um, I'll give you a different kind of answer. When I started in photography back when I was, uh, I, and I don't even know if you know this, I shot my first wedding at about 16 years old. And I absolutely hated every minute of it. My aunt had a, a dark room in the basement. My girlfriend, uh, her parents were caterers, so she had access to weddings. And, uh, that she got me into it and I was 16 at the time and, and I I photographed my first wedding and it was, you know, now I'm dating myself and I'm going back into the eighties and, uh, think about photography back in the eighties, especially wedding photography. I mean, it was just very stiff, uh, proper posed. And if you look at my work at all, that's not, you know, my style. So I kind of got away from it and, but I never stopped loving photography. So I got into architecture, uh, photography, architectural landscape. Uh, yeah. And that's th- going to make oh, sense. Hold on. Hold second. on a second.
0: That's a heck of a jump, though, to go from something. And by the way, I, I do see that in your wedding photography. You remind me you have that Dennis Reggie type of photojournalistic, uh, for lack of a better phrase, approach to to yeah. how you photograph this type of event, which I love, by the way. But to go from that to something where you have to worry about your verticals being vertical. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's well, what ended up happening was, you know, there's, unless you're one of like a handful of people in the world, there's no money in landscape architectural work. I mean, it's just not there, right? So you do it for the passion of it. You love it. You love creating. You love what you see, you know, and, and from your focal length and perspective, you can change uh, what shows up. But I started realizing, I'm like, man, if I just put a pretty little bride in that bottom right third or, you know, wherever you decide to put her, I can actually make money at this thing. Uh, And that's, that's
0: how it started. Okay. Oh my God. You have no idea what a revelation that is. Because I, I, before I record one of these, you know, I research people and I look at their website and I look for commonalities. I do this with every single guest. I look through their portfolio, uh, not in a critique kind of way, but looking for, I, I believe every photographer has a voice, a photographic Mm. voice, whether they try and shoot different genres or not, there is a common thread to a lot of what they shoot. And oh my gosh, what you just said answered a ton of the questions. Like we could stop because a ton of the questions (laughs) that I had are answered. Uh, You'll, you'll understand as we get through farther based on some of the things I say, because I see that I see these, these, these grandiose environmental shots upshot on a building where things are vertical and true, almost like you shot with a tilt shift. And then the bride and groom are, are a graphic design element. Yeah. In the architecture,
1: dude. It's, it's done well for my, for our bank account. I mean, it's uh, so I get to do both things, right? So when you ask me about if I'm on an Island, what would I rather have? Uh, You know, I'd rather have a tall building that I could photograph on that Island. uh, Because that's, that to me combined two passions: beautiful people uh, and beautiful architecture. And then, if you really start looking at my my work even closer, you'll notice there's this juxtapose of it all. Right, so it'll typically be a beautiful bride and groom, or a beautiful fashion model, or high school senior, and this dilapidated, grungy, uh, you know, piece of architecture. And I love that because it really is this kind of old with the new, this ugly and beautiful and seeing the beautiful in the ugly. Like there's just so much there. And See? that's, that's what I love about photography.
0: But what I love with this conversation already is one of the things, I don't know if you do this when you look at other photographers, but I wonder often how much of it is conscious and how much of it is subconscious. And for, I guess for that matter, how much of it is accidental, right? But cause that happens with all of us, but knowing Knowing that I've seen your portfolio and of all different genres and knowing now how your mind works around it. This right here is the reason I do this show, because it's 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 extremely enlightening and almost freeing from a creative point of view, which kind of takes you into the other areas that you're in. You're an educator. You're an author. Uh, I did not know this until I researched you and talked to Scott. You're the publisher of Shutter magazine. Publishing, ba- based on what we just talked about, publishing a magazine is an interesting creative outlet, is it not? It is.
1: Uh, I. It's funny because I love. First of all, I failed uh, or nearly failed English all through high school, uh, so the fact that I'm a publisher, editor in chief, and you know, and I write uh, is not lost on me, and I'm sure my you know English professor is just scratching his head right now, but. Um, it's a cool creative outlet. It's, it's amazing to be able to share your ideas, your concepts. It's, it's awesome to have the responsibility of trying to shape the next crop of photographers. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Anyone who's in education, whether they verbalize it or not, you're responsible for shaping the future of our industry uh, for better or for worse. And I think there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with that. And so with Shutter Magazine, Specifically, it is a different way of thinking because not only do I have to take my message and push that forward and make sure it's digestible, but I also have to bring in writers and educators into the fold to be able to push their message, right. but in a way that matches up to our, to our brand, if that makes any sense.
0: So really quick, we should get – because I don't have this now that I think about it as a lower third. So let's say it early. What's the website for Shutter Magazine? Shutter Magazine. Uh, it's behind the shutter.com behind the shutter.com. Okay. I'll add that to the show notes. Cause I just realized I did not add that to a, a lower third. I've got your website and I've, I've got your, uh, your yeah, social free. media. So stuff. that's awesome. Yeah. So everybody go check that out. So award-winning photographer, you are a double master of WPPI. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing what D- WPPI is going to be like this year. Cause I will be going, Uh, you're a PPA photographic craftsman and master of photography and pro photo legend of light. And of course, as we mentioned, a Canon Explorer of light, and I've had a number of Canon Explorers of light on here. And it's interesting to me to hear how somebody who's in that, that rare fold of photographers explains the concept to others. No Canon Explorer of light has really ever explained it the same way to me. And it's a group. And and to be fair, all large photographic companies have this. There's Nikon Ambassadors, of which there are some amazing ones, like in my genre, Tata Young or or Joe McNally or whatever. But how do you describe the Canon Explorer of Light program?
1: Well, I mean, the Canon Explorer of Light program, if we're being honest, is the best program out there, right? Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's uh, a reason I have a lot of Canon Explorers of Light on here. The Canon, uh, I'm all, I'm only I mean, I, giving you no, but bug. you're not yeah. though. And I'll tell you why. I've tried to get a number and I have, I've gotten some from other manufacturers, but Canon is in front of me saying, here's another, are you ready for another Canon Explorer of Light? We'd love them to be on your show, right? It doesn't hurt that I know some people that are involved in the program, but, uh, and and a number of Canon Explorers are, are friends of mine. But again, the, the people who run it, are putting Canon Explorers of Light in front of me because Canon is aggressive at getting that that education out there to the community. I think.
1: Well, you're not wrong, right? I mean, so I was giving you a little tongue in cheek, and I love razzing people about, uh, uh, of yeah. course, just uh, the the different brand cameras. You know, you want to set some photographers on fire. I mean, just have the the quintessential debate of which camera is the best camera, right? So, but right. anyway, take the take the jokes off the table for a second. Canon and their Explorer of Light program is is quite fascinating if you step back and really think about it. Other other manufacturers have these programs, right? These ambassador programs, and they basically are a popularity contest. and And that's fine. As a manufacturer, you want to pick a representative of your company who's going to be able to get the message out. I mean, that's just what an ambassador is. With Canon, though, while they're actively pushing their people in front of you in the marketplace and doing what marketing companies should do, uh, what people don't realize behind the scenes is happening is, man, there's a vetting process. And that vetting process is not like, hey, I'm a good photographer, hire me. It's uh, you're, you're not talking to them. They're talking to you. They're searching you out. Uh, and it's not something that you're reaching out to somebody and you're asking like, what do I have to do to be in this program there? I still don't know what you have to do to be in that program. But what Canon's doing is they're looking for people who are operating at a higher level within the industry, regardless of what you think of their, their photography, they're looking for leadership. Uh, they're, you know, it's almost like Disney if you think about it, right? I mean, you, you've got to, operate at a certain level where the way you carry yourself, the way you carry yourself in the industry, your work, your portfolio, uh, they're looking for leaders. And when they approached me to be part of that program, honestly, I've been a cannon shooter my entire career. Uh, when they approached me, it's like getting into the hall of fame, honestly. I mean, and that's how to this day, I still think and feel about that. It is an absolute honor uh, for me to be in that program. I never take it for granted, not from the day I got asked and from the day I really, uh, it became official.
0: And, and some friends of mine are Canon Explorers. Rick Salmon, David Bergman are both friends of mine. Uh, there's others that I are slipping my mind right now, but uh, as an example as well, sounds like a Canon ad, I apologize, but uh, as an example, back in October, they even updated the Canon Explorers list. They added Atiba Jefferson, who is a well-known skateboard photographer, also shot for the Lakers, but Skateboard photography, right? Yeah. And he's a legend in it. I mean, there are skateboards with his photos on them. And he's <laughs> been on the show and a wonderfully nice guy. My son came to me and said, oh, my friends are telling me you had a Teba Jefferson on your show. That's it's awesome. one of those type things. And again, you don't think of some of the genres that they pick, some of the people that they pick are not names before they're picked, right. except right. in their genre. And I, and I love that but all of them are highly successful. Your your client list includes the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, You've shot at the White House when President Obama was was in the White House, Procter and Gamble, Microsoft. You are the perfect person to answer some questions. So I, I wanna go back to what I said earlier. When I look at your work, when I browse through your portfolio, I see a couple of common threads. Amazing composition, but again, often with lots of environment, right? It's not that sometimes the bride and groom are center and huge and fill the frame and the environment is in the background at 1.8, right? It's it's a a emerging in a marriage of the subject, which is the bride and the groom with the environment. And you have this wonderful use and and I now again, now that I'm thinking about it in the conversation a few minutes ago, I think it's the real estate stuff. You have this amazing ability to use perspective. Tall buildings, wide stairways. When you're framing a shot, knowing now that we know your background, when you're framing a shot, is there an overall goal you have from shot to shot that tends to resonate in your mind?
1: Ah, uh, it's such a great question. If I had to highlight one thing that I think truly is a gift, right? I think there's skills that can be learned, you know, whether you're an athlete, they always talk about this like natural ability. And one of the things I really do believe in my heart is a uh, just a God given gift is vision, right? So when I walk up to a scene, I I know I see it differently. Because when I'm teaching workshops, uh, when I'm working with my own team, we'll walk up and I'm like, what do you see? You know, I always ask that question, what do you see? And photographers have this really bad habit of walking wow. up to a scene and it's like, bam, right? They just want to start shooting. Look, oh, pretty picture. Oh, oh, right. And they just start Wait, going. Wait, you it's had like, your whoa, phone whoa, whoa.
0: camera in your hand ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to go, man.
1: <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, you know, they always, they, they just go immediately and start shooting. I take a little bit of a different approach. When I walk up to a scene, I realize that the scene is as much about your primary subject, which is your bridegroom, your senior, your fashion model, th- the obvious, that's your primary, as it is your secondary element, right? And if you if you get really good, right, it's the tertiary elements that are in that scene, it can be it can be anything, it can be the additional traffic in the background. Uh, it can be this, you know, the compositional elements. So when I walk up to a scene, I just, I, I, I consciously do this, I ask myself, what's here? And I ask it a, di- a lot of different ways, what am I seeing? What's here? Where does my eye start? Where does my eye end before my camera ever comes up to my face?
0: Interesting.
1: Um, And so that gives me the ability to really have this symbiotic relationship between the subjects and put them where they belong. So even what I've learned over the years is even as I try and teach people this skill, they walk up to a scene and they're like, okay, I got to take this big shot, you know, Sal said to, and the subject's in the wrong place. The architecture is not quite right, which to me signals. They're not seeing it. It's not it's not one with them. They're not seeing it organically. They're forcing it. And maybe that's this intermediary step. And eventually they'll see it, I hope. Uh, But that's something that I really do believe has allowed me in my career to stand
0: out from the pack. See, and in a similar way, I've said to people before, I think you're seeing something, but you're not aware of what you're seeing. Right? I mean obviously you see the freaking building there and you see the street light <laughs> and you see the fire hydrant shooting water in the air. Right. So why is the fire hydrant cut in half, right? You right. saw it, but you weren't or more importantly, why is the person cut in half?
1: You saw that you is weren't the fountain aware of it. coming out of the top of their head. Why is the right. uh, why did you cut their feet off? Why are their fingers cut off, right? Yep they're so the average photographer, if I could give advice to a, a photographer who's up and coming and is like, Hey, how do I get to that next level? It really one word details, details matter. So once you get past, if you think about photography, as far as a skill goes, and mastering that skill one, uh, trust me, when I tell you, I'm at this 15 years as a working professional, and I, every day, I try and get better. I, I, I do not feel like I'm on the top of the mountain, or I know everything uh, far from it. I still learn different lighting. I I still try to learn like gels. Like I want to learn about gelling. So it's not something I've done in my career, but now I'm working more and more with gels because I want to be better and better every time out there. So when you get past how to to use your camera, how to use the settings, what focal lengths do what things to the the portrait or to the way something feels uh, in an image, when you get past that, how do you, how do you get better? Well, it starts coming into the details. You know, you'll see photographers where they're photographing a model and she's got long hair. And then you look at the picture and it's just beautiful lighting and, and, and you know, compositionally it's beautiful. And then the model's is like, you know, choking her out through here. And, and you're like, Hey dude, fix the freaking details. Like fix right. her hair, fix the shirt, fix the button. Like you're missing every other detail because you're so, focused on the obvious which is like ooh, pretty girl pretty picture uh and there's if you want to be successful at that level remember i'm not a photojournalist right so a photojournalist is what it is it is but when you're in the business of fashion and weddings uh and and senior portraits boudoir portraits the details matter and that's on you as the photographer and artist to catch that and that's going to separate you from the pack in my opinion
0: See, and I, I have so ma- I have analogies that I use, and I, I think it comes from my IT background. I'm not sure trying to explain IT to people who don't understand what, what's happening to their computers or their network. But the way I always think about this is it's edging the lawn. Anybody can have rich green grass and mow it, and it looks great, and it's creeping over the sidewalk. It's when you right. edge it that suddenly people drive by and go, wow, look at that yard. And it right. could be the identical yard, but just that you edged it makes a difference. Your work... Your work has this balance to it, and, and I don't – I'm curious if you realize it, but it, what I mean by balance is every photo of yours I see, there is a feeling of symmetry. Even when the shot is not symmetrical, your shots oh, have symmetry. It. It, may be, it may be people balanced with a tree or people balanced with a building or people balanced within a staircase within a building. There's a shot I'm thinking of where it's a solid wall, but the staircase is almost a cutout in the wall stepping down and where the bride and groom are within that. You are aware of that through the viewfinder, right? Yes. And I
1: love that you see it. That makes me even more excited because I see it. And I always hope that my clients or anybody who's viewing or consuming my images sees it. Sometimes I'm like, Am I the only one who sees it? Because I I can nerd out on that stuff all day, right? The uh, the the
0: but doesn't I'm but writing. doesn't it make a difference? I mean, and the thing is, the thing is, when I see that in your work, it takes me as a viewer, right, as as a fan of photography, it takes me to a different level of seeing the shot. And you do a lot of that in the shot we're going to talk about today. And so, before I bring up the shot. Just to remind everybody, if you go to behindtheshot.tv and you find this episode, uh, there is a blog post. It shows all. It, it shows the picture we're going to talk about, but it also has a small gallery of Sal's work. And I wrote a little blog post about Sal that most likely my wife spellchecked. And so <laughs> if I miss something, it's on me. Uh, but go check it out again behindtheshot.tv. You can find everything. And so I want to I want to talk about this shot because. When, when this shot first got sent to me and we were discussing what shot we were going to use immediately, immediately it was wow. And for all the reasons that we have already discussed, right? This shot has everything. It has the, the juxtaposition of new and fashion and model in an old bus. It has the gels and the color, but none of it on her Except what's intentional, the fact she's wearing red boots, for example. So here's what I'm going to do. And if I make any mistakes, tell me at the end. But for those of you listening on audio, I'm just going to take a minute. I'm going to try and verbally describe this picture. But I highly recommend that you go to BehindTheShot.tv and go look at the actual picture. So what this is, it's a shot inside a bus. I want you to picture that you're up by the driver of a bus looking to the back of the bus. And imagine a very wide angle so that the windows are, I mean, the perspective is pronounced going from wide where you're standing back towards infinity and standing in the middle of the bus is a beautiful fashion model. But the seats of the bus are what's interesting. Seats of a bus normally would be perpendicular to you. And here they've been turned sideways and are angled down the sides of the window. So in other words, they lay down the sides of the bus, which is really interesting to me. And again, very, very wide angle. But the perspective is what does it. And Behind the model, there is a bright, solid, red light dead center in the back of the bus. When I say none of that red is spilling, and by the way, it fills the bus with red. When I say that it's not spilling on the bride, the bride appears to be lit, very controlled with a standard flash, no gel, or at least no colored gel. It appears as though the flash is camera right. And again, no spill of the red on her. Her right hand is on her hip, not her left hand, separated from her waist, giving you the the ability. We critiqued a shot on the critique show the other day that had this issue. By separating the arm, you get the waist, you get the beauty of the model. She's looking straight down the barrel of the lens. And what's interesting here also is the lens is not eye height to her. The lens feels like her waist is center frame. So the lens feels as though it's lower, but shooting straight at her which makes her look like she's almost touching the roof of the bus. And I love this touch. And I'm dying to know if it's artificial or not. Her reflection comes at you from where she's standing. And, and it took me a while to see this, but through the windows, through the red light, you can see the buildings outside. And over all of this, and again, oh, let me say this again. The symmetry, we talked about this before, the symmetry in here is Absolutely amazing. Even where the, the, the bus seats left and right, how much of the ones you see cut off at the left and right bottom corners is identical. Like it's perfectly symmetrical, right? And over the top of all of this is a painterly brush texture. Really, honestly, there is so much visual stimulation going on here. Uh, did I miss anything that I should have gotten?
1: No, I love it. I love everything you're saying and everything you're seeing. Um, and uh, you see exactly what I saw when I was uh, making this. And so the reflection up above her is not artificial. Uh, that was really? not done in uh, Photoshop. Yeah. The city uh, through the windows is also not artificial.
0: Um, this I have to ask cool you then buzz- on the reflection. I have to ask you on the reflection because here's here's what would happen in my head. Red light behind her would cause a shadow that, which is on the ground for her. And by the way, again, her boots are red. She's totally normal color, no red on her. It would cause a shadow on the ground and probably a shadow on the ceiling, but it's not just a shadow. And I would think that the light, which again, appears camera right lighting her face. um, There's something on the left. I don't know, reflectors, but I would think that would wash that out on the ceiling, Yeah. Her
1: head is, uh, it's a very short school bus. So her head is about two inches from that ceiling. I could barely stand up in there. Uh, so it's been, it's not just perspective on that. It is perspective. I'm down on one knee. So you're, you're correct there. I'm down on one knee. Um, the light is directly behind her and we positioned it so that we could not have a whole bunch of light spill firing into the lens Uh, so we're using her body to block it. One of the things worth noting there, so her head is really close to the ceiling. So I think that's why you're seeing her reflection so clear. I I mean, to be honest, I was shocked when I, when I saw it in post, because that wasn't what I saw in the shot originally was not her reflection. I didn't think I was going to get any reflection in the ceiling. Um, but what I did see in there were the windows driving me forward. Uh, right and the seats driving me forward and then of course her putting her in the middle seemed obvious so everything with these you know uh, lines coming together I'm like that's where she belongs and she's a bit bullseye right so if you look at it from that perspective especially in the world of critique you would say oh it's bullseye it's meaning dead center it's no good but here it actually makes sense bullseye is not always bad it you just it has to belong there. Well, and so the lines we, we think of reflection
0: there. shots as being OK to have a horizon line in a reflection shot dead center. Effectively, this is the same thing with the horizon line turned vertical instead of the reflection happening top to bottom. This is almost like a reflection happening left to right with a unique mountain in the middle. Um, true. Very true. And so I mean, if you I, if, I if you flip back. this vertical, it would look like a landscape. Yeah, <laughs> it really
1: would. Um I do want to circle back. This particular school bus is at a place called um City Museum in St. Louis and it is uh the school bus believe it or not is actually on the 12th floor and the school bus is off the edge of the building. So if you google City Museum, you'll see uh this is off uh the edge of the building, right? So where she's standing is probably Uh, on the corner of the building. And if you walk all the way to the front of the school bus, you're overhanging, looking 12 stories down, right? So that's why you see that city skyline there. But here's what's interesting. This to just give the average photographer or an aspiring photographer, uh, maybe perspective, uh, mental perspective here. Every photographer in St. Louis who has gone to City Museum has seen the very same thing that I saw when I walked in here. Uh, The seats are green. So they're disgusting puke green the ceiling is blue. uh, And I think the floor is like this black, right? So uh, if you look at that a little closer, you'll see hints of blue in the ceiling, uh, as you look at that, um, because that's the color of the ceiling. So when I walked into this, I thought to myself, how am I going to make this look different? Now, if you want to change and take control of a scene and make it more interesting, gels immediately are going to change the color of everything. So you can make something that Is normally not that interesting. Suddenly more interesting, but that's a little bit of a oversimplification, right? You can't just fire a gel and you're like, "Look, I'm a great photographer." That that's not how it works. So we knew we wanted her in the scene, and there's another shot that we don't have, which was a happy accident. Uh, When I'm testing my lights, I tend to build incrementally my shot. Meaning, the first thing I did was test the gels. So the first shot was gel, no light on her, and I had this insane silhouette of her with no light on her face. And I'm, and it looked very Batman ish. Right. And I'm like, Whoa. So we, we nailed that shot. Maybe we could come back and talk about that on another, another episode, but it, it's, it's also equally as amazing. So then I knew we were onto something, but of course I needed to get main light on her as well. So where am I going to put it? If I put it straight on, uh, that's not going to necessarily look right. So it's off camera, right? Very controlled lighting. Uh, to fill her face and body and it, it's not quite Rembrandt but it's you could see if you look at the shadow on her nose it's obviously coming off camera right Where, So when you
0: say it's camera right is it is it uh speed light? is it a strobe is it softbox strip box what do you what do you have on it
1: No this is a Profoto B10 uh, or B10 plus okay. I can't remember which one it was uh and it's in a and it's in a softbox and uh, I'm going off the top of my head I believe it's an oct a small octabox right so a very small okay. Life so source, you were able to softened. feather it
0: where you wanted it then? Correct, uh, hold and on, power hold on. source let me, let me, to do that. Let me go deeper on that. Why is there no flash on the seats to her left?
1: So what we're doing is feathering
0: it. To our, if to if our, our left, I should shadow,
1: say. Yeah, to uh, the camera left. So if you look at the shadow there, um, you're seeing th- that, that angle, and I'm trying to explain it with what everybody's looking at, right? Uh, What you're seeing is that this shadow is almost straight on, but it's just a little bit off, right? So there's not going to be a whole lot of spill filling the whole thing. And it's about power settings, right? You don't want to, if I overpower this, I'm going to have light spilling everywhere in this container. So that red light coming at us is very, very bright uh, compared to, I mean, look, it's filling the entire school bus. So we just need enough light to come back this way where yeah. she's got no light on her, right? It's, bl- it's black. And this technique, by the way, is something I do on my outdoor shots. So if you ever look at some of my dark and dramatic shots, the technique is the identical same. The, what we do in camera is darken, uh, is darken the overall scene on camera. So the camera exposes for the scene. When you do that, when the camera exposes for the scene, there's no light on your subject's face. It's always going to be black so that's where flash comes in a lot of mistakes i see photographers make is trying to overpower the sun with flash and it's very difficult to do i mean you need heavy duty lighting out there and look we're not out there traveling with three thousand watts of power this isn't a hollywood set right where we're we're rolling out that kind of power i'm rolling around with a 200 watts you know 150 watts something like that light in my hand so the only way it works is not by overpowering the light. It's by filling. So in order to fill, you have to make sure that their face has no shadow coming in or cross light coming in, right? Because you'll never overpower that. So that's why it looks the way the way it looks. And it's a staple of all my work. I mean, you can look at 90% of my work. It's shot the exact same way, except this in, one had gel on it.
0: And So a couple of really interesting things, because I looked up the EXIF data on this. And unless for some reason the EXIF data is wrong, uh, F8 makes total sense to me, right? Sweet spot. You get just the right. Okay, I got that. ISO 100 because you got a super powerful light and you're just kissing it with a little bit of fill. One one hundredth of a second. She's posed perfectly fine. This is 11 millimeters from the Canon. By the way, if I'm not mistaken, it was a 5D Mark IV according to EXIF, but this is the 11 to 24 F4 which is one of the sharpest lenses I've ever played with. I don't own one, but it's a beautiful lens. And it shot at 11 millimeters, which is really fascinating because 11 millimeters, right? And yet this almost looks rectilinear. Did you have to correct a lot of the lines?
1: No. So this is another, there's been some lens correction, right? But no matter what you do, if you shoot it wrong, and I'll expand on that in a second, uh, you're going to skew everything, right? So with a lot of photographers will make this mistake with both architecture and, uh, humans when they get that wide angle lens, right? So they'll get that wide angle lens and they love it because suddenly you could see everything. Um, but everything has a weird skew to it. And some photographers like that, right? I, I always say season to taste, man. It's your, it's your image. Don't let, don't let anybody right. tell you like, you know, oh, that." It, that's wrong. I mean, shut up. Let, and subject let matters. I mean, a,
0: a guitarist sticking their foot in your face as they're playing can be great in a fisheye. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, it's it, it is what it is. Right. So I never really get hung up on that. It's about whether it's visually pleasing or not. For my style of work, I know that if I let that subject get closer to the edge, uh, it's not going to quite look right. So what I tend to do is when I use that 1124, I will shoot them bullseye. And what that allows me to do is zoom in past the skew. Does right. Does that right. make sense? Yep.
0: Yeah, that makes total and sense. And now with
1: these cameras being, you know, 30, 40, 50 megapixel, you, you zoom, you're you just coming in a couple of inches. It, it's no big deal.
0: Well, and because she's not distorted at all. And even with a fisheye, if you stick something dead center, it's going to have less effect than than if you're at the edges. Right. Exif data showed you were manual white balance. Is that normal for you? Um. If I'm shooting
1: gelled or if, if I'm just shooting normal with flash and light, I'm probably nine out of ten times shooting. Um, yeah, I guess I am. I'm shooting in Kelvin uh, a majority of the time. If Because if, if I'm in studio, uh, if I'm uh, in uh, unless I'm shooting a wedding, sorry. If I'm shooting a wedding, I'm auto white balance 99% of the time. I'm just not messing around with it. I'm shooting raw. I'll figure it out later. I don't have time right. to be on the back. Because you're, of a, you're in a bride's champion. room
0: that's fluorescent and then in a hall that's mixed, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know how it works. It's like you're shooting the bride in fluorescent light. And then all of a sudden the mother's like, come out here, shoot uncle, and, you know, grandma's here. And then you go outside and now she's green. Like, I mean, it's just, so I shoot auto white balance. And for uh, the green for people
0: out there, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. We are accepting of all shades, all green people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything so, here
0: though but, adds to the perspective and you know, the seats, the window frames, the lens effect adds to the perspective the lighting the way that the sha the way that the shadows and the reflection for that matter land all add well, go ahead the above shadow is a happy accident right so
1: i just don't want anybody believing that i walked into the scene and i was like there's going to be a reflection up there like i had no idea right uh but It's a good accident. Like sometimes
0: it's better. But you knew it in camera though, right? Accident or not, you saw it that day.
1: That's right. I saw it immediately and I was, and all of us had the same reaction. All of us were like, whoa. And then of course, you know, you just start getting more and more creative, but start honing in on the details, right? Even the pose, I think is strong and matches uh, the scene, right? Think about this. Everything is symmetrical in that bus. She is not symmetrical she's asymmetrical. That was not that was not an accident. That was me, the way I'm posing her. And then it gets even into more detail there. Notice on camera right arm, the arm that is against her body, there is a subtle little gap where you're seeing red peek through. Again, not an accident and not the model. That was specifically directed by me after I took a test shot. And this is, this is very important. If you're a photographer, you could get caught up in the scene and be like, looking back at camera and be like, this is amazing. We nailed it. And then you get back. We've all been there. You look in Lightroom or whatever your tool is, and you're going, right. If her arm stayed flush against her body, I would have made her look three or four inches wider in her waist than she really is. And so I caught that. And this is what I'm saying to aspiring photographers. Take a test shot check the back of your camera look for what's wrong the best piece of advice i can give any photographer out there is ask yourself what's wrong and if you look at your image and there's nothing wrong you're full of because that means you're not getting it there's something wrong in every single one of our pictures including myself so i always look at the back of my camera and i go what's wrong doesn't mean i always find everything that's wrong doesn't mean i don't make mistakes anymore but if you have that more that it's even fixable
0: yourself, on on site
1: Right, it, but at least I know what's wrong and I go, okay, I can fix that or I can't fix that. And that's how you start catching things like hair, fingertips, joints that you're cutting off, expression, light placement, right? Just because the scene is balanced, right? If she starts looking, right? If you if you take her and she decides she's gonna turn her chin camera left, right? Towards her, uh, uh, her arm that's on her hip. If she starts looking that way, now lighting goes from short light to broad light. Now, right. that's not the effect I want. I'm making her look bigger. Her head becomes a lot more uh, intrusive um, and not as strong. I decided to take a knee so that she was my hero in the image. I wanted her to be larger in frame and have this kind of like badass look. Well, that's not going to be done shooting top down. That's got to be done shooting up, right? Uh, so all these things are going through my head before I ever click
0: that button. See, and, and I mentioned at the very beginning, the the her right arm, hand on the hip, leaving space so that you can see the waist and see the body. And I, I commented that in the critique show I did with Don Komoreczka recently, we had a shot like that where we talked about the arm was laying across the body and and the wherewithal on, on set, as it were, to say, I don't care if it's a hair, I just want to see space between the arm. It doesn't, everybody assumes that means you know, pop the elbow out and it doesn't have to be just, just lower a hip and it pulls the body away from an arm that's dragging straight. So when you do get back and you bring this thing up, obviously you would have done basic lens correction. You added the texture. That's clear. I'm assuming you did a crop, uh, on it. Uh, what software do you use?
1: Lightroom and Photoshop. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are moving over to, you know, capture one, which is a, uh incredible tool but um if you're i like capture one uh for editing if i'm editing one image two images capture one when it comes to like volume workflow of any sort the tool's just not there i mean we uh we own a post product i own a post-production company called uh evolve edits that does all my uh work but it we actually have 500 customers around the world who are professional photographers who send their work to us to do everything from color correction to full retouching so we tried capture one which is where i'm going with this we tried it in a high volume workflow and it just the tool couldn't keep up and we were working with their engineers uh and they we wanted to move to capture one as an organization and they wanted us to move over uh it just couldn't keep up with the the, right. the volume of like you know a wedding of two thousand images forget it it's just not there
0: with all the genres you do shoot do you treat your post production kind of the same? I mean, in other words, is it is it does it follow a certain workflow, or do you treat fashion different than wedding, different than senior, different than? You understand what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's uh, for us. It's all the same. I'm really about simplification. Uh, there's a lot. Look, if you're if you're an enthusiast you you seemingly have plenty of time to take the pictures. And if you want to take three months to show one picture, I guess, have at it. It's horrible service, but uh, I'm not here to judge it. Um, but if you're a working <laughs> professional photographer, we, we don't have three months, you know, to like, I'll get to it when I can. Uh, I have to get these images shot and out the door. If it's a commercial client, forget it. They wanted it like five minutes after I shot it. Uh, if it's, um, you know, a wedding or senior or, or portrait client, it's I got to have these things ready in two weeks. Uh, uh, you know, so and then with the, you know, you've got social media and all these things that are nagging at you. It, it's just the workflow should be simple, right? Keep your workflow simple. Don't let the tech uh, bog you down tech. Here's always been my philosophy, tech should never get in the way of the shot. So a lot of photographers, again, I watch them because I teach them and I see them in workshops. They can't get out of their own way. So they're, they're sitting there shooting, they see something, they, they want to capture it. And then they're dicking around with lenses. Then they're, you know, dicking around with their flash and, and, you know, moving it around. And then it's not working correctly because they didn't switch their batteries or it's not working correctly because the, the frequencies, you know, it's like, Hey man, you know, you get what you pay for. Invest in good lighting, invest in good camera equipment, uh, and stop trying to cut corners and think you're going to be, you know, a a magician. Like, it just doesn't work that way. So most of my work, even in the field, has just been simplified because I want to be able to walk onto a scene, and we highlighted this in the very beginning, and I just want to ask myself a simple question. What do I see? And I want to look around and know what I see. I don't want to be like, are my batteries charged? What lens should I use? Uh, is it, you know, is, should I use a red gel or a green gel? Where are my gels? You know, and, and where's the rubber bands that I'm going to use to the gaff tape to uh, <laughs> for sake, like it, you're there to create the tech should support the shot, not hinder the shot.
0: No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Good full circle too. So quick speed. And I'm, to- and
1: I'm so sorry. I've got, uh, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I got a potty mouth. So I, I, I apologize. If you got to bleat me out of this.
0: That's fine. I do it all the time. I have no problem doing <laughs> it, uh, and, and there's times that I've wanted to just mark because with Apple, you got to mark it and all that. And there's times I've gone, I just want to leave it because it adds to the conversation in many ways. I mean, really, words, words used properly add effect. I mean, there's no question about it. So quick speed round. <laughs> what is your top wedding or fashion photography tip? First thing that comes to your head.
1: Oh, my God. Uh, top wedding photography tip. Details matter. Focus on the details uh, and uh, stop getting stuck behind the equipment. You're in the people business, operate, work with people.
0: Yeah, and see, I DJed weddings for 18 years. So uh, I'm used to the environment and and people don't understand how much of it is just smiling at the right person. That's right. What is your, what is your top posing tip?
1: Mm. Posing tip, if they look uncomfortable, they are uncomfortable. Don't take the shot. Work with your clients and get them to loosen up. You gotta find a way to loosen them up. And what I do is if I see them look awkward or feel awkward. All you got to do is look at their face. Don't look at their bodies, look at their face and they will tell you everything you need to know about that pose.
0: Okay. Uh, top location scouting tip, because I would have never thought to shoot in a bus. So what's your top yeah. location scout tip?
1: Uh, the uglier, the better look for uh, dilapidated, interesting landscape. Look for character. That's what you're looking for. Uh, or else you might as well go into a studio and just shoot everything on a white wall, right? I mean, you get a psych wall and it'll all look the same. So for me, I'm looking for character in the background and interesting elements.
0: Okay. Uh, do you prioritize shutter or aperture most of the time? Oh, 100% aperture. Okay. Uh, that was an easy one. Is there an app you can't live without, like a phone app?
1: Uh, phone app. Does it have to be photography? No. The phone app I cannot live without right now is TikTok. I'm addicted to TikTok. I don't, yeah. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this right now.
0: Their system works, camera. man. It works. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, for focus, back button focus or half a shutter press?
1: If I see you back button focus, I'm going to punch you in the face.
0: Ooh. And we were doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> almost every Listen. live, in, in my defense, almost every live music photographer that I know does back button focus.
1: If you are, here's where, here's where the difference is. If you are a uh, photojournalist, you tend to be a back button fo- focused person. Yeah. And it makes sense why you're doing that. But if you're in my business, my side of the, the same business, if you will, is I need tack sharp, right? And what's going to end up happening is that delay between hitting the back button, hitting the front for as the bride's walking down the aisle. And you're shooting at a 50th of a second, a 60th of a second, that blur, which will look good in any kind of photojournalistic environment, that blur is going to be unacceptable for a uh, uh, for a wedding. So I tend not to do it. So I I jump on my students when I see them doing it. But I get a lot of heat from them back because they don't like my
0: way either. We'll have a drink sometime and have that conversation. Uh, (laughs) What's your of all the nine million composition rules people quote? What's your favorite composition rule?
1: Uh, man, that's like, yeah, I think, I don't think you could have stumped me with a better question. Um, thirds, I think the rule of thirds for me, uh, tends to be, uh, one of the strongest rules I, I work with most of the time. I mean, of course there's, there's many other rules, but the rule of thirds, it's interesting because I do it in different ways, right? So rule of third, everybody just thinks, well, you can put them off in the right corner or the left corner, right? And that's yes. Rule of thirds right. in its most rudimentary form, I think. But what I like to do is just something a little bit different. Imagine a vertical shot uh, where you now put your subject in that bottom third. I mean that becomes a little bit uh, interesting, right? Which, so you, which you do behind an, them.
0: And you do that an awful lot. And I would say it's actually, I would have guessed you would have said rule of thirds, which is my favorite as well. And for me, it's not just putting them in a corner. For me, where I've got musicians with with guitars or cymbals or whatever, it's playing with where that rule of thirds splits them in relation to the end of the scene. I mean, it's, you don't just set somebody centered on an on a intersection, right? Sometimes right. then you've got some instrument hanging over or a veil sticking out. That balance to me is, is uh, amazing. So last question, is there a photographer or who is a photographer or an artist for that matter that people may not know about and they should? Mm.
1: I don't know anybody that, that I could name. It, I don't follow photographers. I think this is a better answer to the question. I actually pay little to no attention to other photographers. Uh, not because um, not because I think I'm, I'm better than them at all, actually, because I don't want to feel inferior to them. Uh, it, because there's so many amazing photographers out there. I don't want my style to be influenced by other photographers. Instead, I look to Hollywood, believe it or not. So most of my inspiration comes from Hollywood. And, uh, you know, when you when you think about like Hollywood movies, uh, I'm not talking about purely the frame up of any given shot. I'm I'm talking about the frame up of a shot. I'm talking about the angles that they choose. I'm talking about the focal length they choose. But I'm also talking about the post production. You know, my style of photography is very cinematic. Uh, it's very different. Yeah, it is, and I, I try to make sure that uh, I don't look to uh, active photographers. But I will tell you something else. Uh, something I did, and this the question just made me think of this. When I was coming up, and I was, tr- it took me, it took me a good five years to find my style. If you if you're a photographer watching this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're you, you don't know what your style is. You, you're struggling to figure it out because. One client might want one style, another client might want another style, and you're stuck in the middle trying to figure out what is the right style. I can tell you the minute I figured my style out, my cl- the right client started fi- finding me. I-, I will tell you that. But when I was uh, traveling overseas a lot for, for work, for photography work, I was getting a lot of international jobs, and uh, I started going to museums. And when I started going to museums and looking at uh, like Renaissance paintings uh, and, th- and just all the, the not only the, the composition, right? You got to remember, they didn't have a camera. So everything- And they didn't those...
0: have a pro photo B10. Yeah,
1: exactly. So everything it, you should do, every, if, I encourage everybody who's a photographer to do something like this. Everything in those pictures, right? Has been placed there by design. So that's a little bit different, right? You walk up to a scene and if, there's no roof on a building or there's no door or there's no window. It's just not there. But for these guys, they had to decide what window was there, what what human was there. They had to decide who was in darkness, who was in shadow. And these things carry other meanings, right? So, you know, if it's during that period, whether it's the Crusades or anything like that, being in darkness meant something completely different than you and I going, well, there's just no light in that corner. No, it actually meant something, Right. So, darkness and light and good versus evil. And so, when you sit down and you actually start doing like art appreciation and you really pay attention, that's where I actually learned my style of dark and light. So, I realized that by making the subject the brightest part of the image, that's where your eye will always go. And so, again, now if you go back and look at some of my work, you'll notice that the architecture is typically inherently darker. Than my primary yes. subject. That is not an accident. That is a conscious decision uh, in the way I shoot and the way we edit our images. But I got that from going to look at uh, art in
0: museums. And it's such a great tip. I try and explain to people that I will go to the brightest spot in an image, or if it's all pretty equal, the, the most saturated spot. And I've had yep. people tell me it is the brightest spot, and I'm like, No, you don't. You don't see this. A good tip on finding the brightest spot in your image is in Lightroom, it's right bracket key or command right bracket key on a Mac, I think it is, Uh, flip an image upside down. It removes what you recognize and see, and you will find the brightest spot very, very quickly and learn to use your your dodge and burn tools. Um, Well, one one of the things, sorry,
1: one of the things I I tell people is close your
0: eyes, open them. Where's
1: the first place your eyes go? And that's the brightest part of the image, but they might still be in denial to your point. And so they got to flip that image upside down.
0: I've had people tell me the bright is the the brightest spot, and I look at it and yeah. go, "Well, if you're talking her abdomen on her white dress, yes. right, right, exactly." But that's brighter yeah, than her that, face.
1: And is that where you want me to look? You want me staring at her abdomen?
0: Yeah, I and it, I so. see it all the time. And I've had people literally fight with me, going, "It's not." And and I will. I've had people, <laughs> for fun, I've dragged an eyedropper over parts of an image to go. Now do you see? Now do you understand? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. But it's those little things. It's again, it circles right back to the beginning. Details. It's all about the details. Uh, Sal Sincata, thank you so much for doing this. I have, as f- we've been doing this show, those of you watching on video, I've had lower thirds popping up giving social media and giving Sal's website. But just so that people on the audio version can hear it, what's your website?
1: It is salcincata.com, S A L C I N C O. T And that's uh, Instagram, Facebook. You can follow us there. Uh, and Steve, I hope you don't mind. I want to uh, plug, we have a photography conference, plug everything, only $99. Yeah, it's only $99. It's called Shutterfest. Uh, it's a hands-on photography conference. So a lot different than the other conferences that are out there. Uh, and I'm in there working with small groups of people on all the things we've been talking about here. So if you want to come join us, uh, it's this September. Uh, and it's uh, 99 bucks. So check out shutterfest.com. We'd we'd love to have you join our crazy family.
0: Okay. And I will, again, I will uh, put that one in the show notes as well. And I'll probably add a lower third for that in post just so that people have it. Shutterfest.com and 99 bucks. Where is it held?
1: It's held in St. Louis, a historic Union station. So we have a lot of fun there.
0: Oh, that sounds, that does sound like a lot of fun. Uh, so again, so thank you for prob- very You probably
1: much. need to come. You need to come. You're very welcome. Uh, and we can arm wrestle over the back button focus. Uh, okay.
0: I'm I'm game. I'm <laughs> game. I should warn you, though, I'm not good at arm wrestling. So uh, you could have, I don't much. want to give you a false sense of winning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's just well, yeah, we put could. that out there now. Uh, again, <laughs> uh, that actually does sound like a lot of fun, though. And I have, I've had other people have that debate with me, too. And it's always a fun debate. Uh, my, my rule of thumb is. Yeah, and you kind of said it earlier, look, if if you want to shoot brides from nothing but 10 feet in the air and that works for you, whatever tools you want to use, go use them. Just the main thing is go create something cool. That's really all I yeah, care about.
1: That's exactly right. The gear should never get in the way of the shot, right? Do what yeah, you yeah, got to ne- do to make it work.
0: Uh, Sal Sincata, thank you so very much for doing this, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother so again this is behind the shot if you want more information on this show if you want the show notes for this show all you got to do is go to behindtheshot.tv. again if you are watching on youtube i would like to ask because i see all kinds of statistics of people that are watching places please go down click the subscribe button make sure you click the bell and choose all that way when i go live with a critique show when i release a new episode you'll know about each and every one but you don't have to watch on youtube the show is available wherever you get your podcast in either an audio only or a video format. Uh, again, assuming that the service you're using supports video uh, to everybody. Thank you as always for watching. If you want to reach out to me, keep in mind, I am on Instagram and Twitter. I don't really use Facebook much anymore. It's at Steve, Bra- uh, Steve Brazzle. I almost messed up my own last name, like the country Brazil, but two L's. And then the podcast is at behind the shot TV. Thanks for watching. We will see you on the next show.